All right. Well, where do we go from? Where do we grow from here? Where do we go from here? That's what we've been. That's what we're talking about. We're on the. We're on the the, the next part of a series of that we've been in around, around Acts and around Paul and what Paul is, is, is doing in the early, the early church in Acts, okay? Now, I mean, I, we, we talked to you guys about this Bible and, and getting the Bible out and getting it into your hands. And, and, uh, and, and I hope that this becomes a, a little bit more of a, of a muscle that we exercise around here and in here that you'd actually feel it in your hands. My mentor in my life, Janie Donatucci, one of the mentors in my life, she, she, used, to, she used to always tell me, she said, Bill, come on, let's, let's get the folks at Ascent to bring their Bibles to church. And, uh, and I always tell her, Janie, we can get them on the screens. They're fine on the screens. And, and, uh, and she said, no, there's just something about seeing it and feeling it and writing in it. Man, I remember when I first got the permission to write in my Bible. See, growing up Catholic, you didn't write in your Bible. The Bible was uh, the, the one that Jesus signed. It was a big white leather Bible on our, on our, on our coffee table. You didn't write in, or draw in your Bible. But, uh, but, but I remember when I first got permission to do that, how fun that was to actually write, to, to underline something that we've, I felt like God was really speaking to me about and, and to write something in the margins and to, to, to mark up my Bible. And, and uh, you know, those, the, the, when I first opened it up, I just remember the words just jumping off the page. And, and, I, and that can happen for you. And I hope that that happens for you. That, that, that when you open it up, they, 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 they're, it's speaking right to your soul. Now, I know for some of you that are new at, at looking at the Bible, uh, you know, it's, it is hard to navigate. When I'm the first Bible study that I was in in college, I would get in there and they said, now turn it to James 3. And I'm like, there's three Jameses. And so I'm looking through trying to find wh- wh- where, where the third James is. And, and, uh, and I didn't know that it was James chapter 3. I'm looking in the table of contents trying to find James. And, and I looked over and looked at the page number of the guy next to me and went to that page, but that wasn't the same page that was in my Bible. And all of the things that you just go, I mean, how do you, how do, you do this? How do you navigate it? We want to help you navigate this book. And, and part of the reason why Aisha and, and, and Maurice and Chris and I, the four of us, when we were talking about this series, part of the reason why we thought about emphasizing this, looking, actually looking at the pages of the Bible, is that, is that this, particular, this particular series, as we're looking at Paul and Paul establishing the early church, you read it in Acts, but then Paul goes back and writes letters back to those churches that he established. And that becomes most of the rest of the New Testament. And so, and so we just thought, man, we want to help people navigate this book. Some people say the Bible is, should be easy. Well, the message of the Bible can be easy, but the Bible itself is complicated, and, and we want to help you walk through that and, when, and, and figure out how do I now, what does this mean and where does this go in the, in the chronological order of it all? And so we want to help you do that today. We want to help you do that through this series. So if you don't have a Bible, go get one or, or, uh, or bring one and we'll still have them on the screens as well for you. But, uh, but we want to help you to get into this book, okay? Well, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to go into Acts 17 and in, in doing so, we got to give you, I got to give you the background. I can't have you just enter right into Acts 17. Maurice gave some of this background last week as well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the four people that set out to write about the life of Jesus. And so they wrote, he wrote about his life life and his death and his resurrection. 
Now, Luke continued on. Luke continued on and, and into what we call Acts, the early church. It's the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. And so, and so Jesus dies, rises from the grave, it sees all of his, his disciples, tells them, all, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. And Luke writes about that in early Acts. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, man, the Holy Spirit, that's going to be even more advantageous to you than me myself being here is the Holy Spirit. Now, I challenge that because I'm sitting there going, if Jesus was sitting right here in the room, that would be pretty advantageous for us. But he is. Through his Holy Spirit, God's presence is right here in this room. And God gave us his Holy Spirit and said, I'm going to walk with you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak to you, and I'm gonna prod and push you, and I'm gonna remind you, and I'm gonna correct you. And I'm, the Holy Spirit is right here with us. And then, so he ggives us his spirit. And then the, the, the disciples and other folks started to establish the early church. And this is where Paul comes in. Paul was somebody that was, that was persecuting the early church, persecuting the disciples. He was murdering Christians. But then Paul, God literally shakes Paul <laughs> And says, hey, I, I want to use you. And Paul has this, this, this transformation that happens in his life. And Paul then starts to say, all right, I'm going I'm to take this on, this mission that you're giving me. And I'm going to go start these churches. I'm going to go tell the world about who you are. And Paul went out and started telling the world. that we, we call it these three missionary journeys. He went on the road trips. And he stopped in important cities along the way. And he would first go into their churches. And he would talk to religious folks. And those that were, were very interested in what he had to say, he then would, would go home or back to the place, the person that was hosting it. It was really important, that person that was hosting Paul in each of those cities. He'd bring those folks that were interested back there, and then he'd unpack this more, this truth. He'd unpack it more and more with them. And then people started to say, well, I, I believe this to be true. And then he would move on. Sometimes he'd stay in a city for a year, a couple of years, sometimes for six months, but he'd then move on and then another church would get started. And then eventually he'd go back and he'd write letters to those churches to encourage them along the way or to correct them or to challenge them. He'd write these letters back to those churches. And so we are looking at Acts 17. Maurice started, he started with Paul and he started the first journey that Paul went on, the first road trip. And then he came back and then he started this second road trip. And I'm going to get into Acts 17 in the second road trip. I, I did this map. You know, Stuart helped me make this map together. Check this out. This is, I mean, look at this. Present day Greece, present day Syria, and present day Turkey. See, look at that. I mean, you're not going to get a more scientific map than this one. I worked all weekend on this. Um, I, I even did the little turkey hand, turkey thing with the little gobble gobble there. Stuart had no idea what I was talking about. Why, why are you drawing that? That's Turkey. That's to show this is present-day Turkey. So here you go. So, so Syria, Turkey, and Greece. That's where we're at on the map. He starts in Antioch, and then he goes 785 miles from Antioch to Troas. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, why that's important that he did that. He goes from Troas then up to Philippi. You might recognize Philippi because that's where the letter to the Philippians is eventually written to that church that he established in Philippi. From Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica. That's where we're going to be at today. In Acts 17, he's in Thessalonica. He heads to Berea after that, and then he eventually goes down to Athens. That's, the, that's all of Acts 17. Luke is writing about that part of his journey, and then ultimately from Athens, he takes off to Corinth, 
And he gets there, and this is where 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it comes out of, it comes to that, that church that he establishes in Corinth. And in Corinth, he writes the letter back to the people in Thessalonica. Okay, that's the, that's the Thessalonian letters that we have. Okay, so this is, this is how connecting those dots in Acts. You get Luke that gets to tell you about his journey. And then you get Paul that writes these letters back to these churches that he established in these places. And you get to put those pieces together and you go, okay, now I'm getting a better picture of what was happening in those cities and why Paul wrote what he wrote to those cities. And we're going to look at that today, okay? All right, so we're in Acts 17. This is, this is that part that he's heading off to Thessalonica, okay? Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. It's the New International Version. Some, everyone has different versions. If you're in Bible Gateway right now, um, you can go to the NIV if you want and follow along with me or go to whatever version you want to go, along, to go with. Um, if, basically, these different versions, this is, just, this is just people that are looking at the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And they're trying to get the very closest words they can in English to those original words. And so some will disagree, some theologians will disagree, and you'll see different translations. Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of it all, and that's what we get with the message. But most of the ones that you will read are actual translations. Some people say, we should just go back to the King James because that's the first one. Well, you guys, the first one is probably the least accurate one. Because when the King James was written, they were written in that, in that high English. And, and since then, there's been far more study as to some of those Hebrew and Greek words that brings us even closer to that, what, with that original meaning through the newer translations that you would get. So when people will say, I read from only King James because I read from the closest to, the, to, to when it actually, what actually happened, it's actually probably a more accurate uh, representation to read the NIV or the, uh, the NRSV or some of those translations as well, okay? So I want to help you to, to, if you need to look for a Bible, come and ask, and we can help you to tell, to tell you which translation you're actually going to really want, uh, want to read, okay? So Acts 17, it says this. It says, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So there's about 30 miles between these cities. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Okay, so remember just what I was just telling you guys. He would go to the synagogue first, the religious folks first, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, so for three straight weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. That was a big deal, you guys. That he's saying, look, the Christ, the Messiah, Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, and he's writing to, and he's, and he's, he's meeting with a, gr a Greek group of people. And he's saying, that, that anointed one that you've been waiting for, that one that you have just been, you've been praying about and you've been hoping about, and, and, and uh, Isaiah, your, the prophet in the Old Testament, pro prophesied about and, and predicted it would happen. This is that moment. This is that person. This is the anointed one. And you can imagine how that's received. Some people are going, baloney. And that's blasphemy. And they're pushing against Paul. He's in the middle of a synagogue telling this stuff and they're pushing against him. But others are intrigued by it. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. I'm gonna come back to that one in a second. But the Jews were jealous 
So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house because Jason was the one hosting Paul and Silas. Jason was the one that said, bring it to my house. Bring these folks to my house. The ones that are questioning all of it, bring them to my house. And so they, they brought them to his, his house and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Man, I, I think about Jason in this moment. How many of you guys have ever stepped into a position where you're saying, I'm going to do this for the Lord? I think that God is pressing me and asking me to do this. And Jason here opens up his house, has Paul and Silas come on in, says, yeah, yeah, this is, this is, this is great news of Jesus. People are starting to follow him. And then there's a riot that happens. They can't find Paul and it's, and it's Jason that's thrown into, J, into prison. He's gotta, there's gotta be a part of him that's going, wait a minute, is that what I signed up for? I thought I was doing something for you, Lord. Is that what I signed up for? He says this, when they, heard, when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond and let him go. So they, so they, so they couldn't find Paul. They couldn't find Silas. Jason posted bond and, and they let him go. As soon as it was night, the brother sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So now he's moving on. He's going, Paul has gone from this church that he established. As you read First and Second Thessalonians, he was actually there for quite a long time. He might've been there for over a year, but then he had to hurry out of there. I mean, I think about Jim and I, when we started Ascent, and if, you if, if a year into starting Ascent, we had been told, yeah, it's time for you to go. And we'd have to tell her, everyone that was here to just go, I'm sorry, but you're on your own. I gotta get out. We gotta get out of here. So Paul leaves, leaves Thessalonica, gets to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. He went right back to what he was doing before, back to the synagogues. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what, if, if what Paul said was true. Now I'm going to go on a couple of tangents here for just a second, so hold on. First, this part right here, that they examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You guys, you cannot, you, you have to hear how important that is. There are so many people that will go to church and just trust the person up in front. They'll hear what that person up in front said and they say, well, that's that gotta be true. That person, he's done the study and he knows or he or she knows what they're talking about. It's gotta be true. And so they only follow what that person says. There's times where I've talked to people and they say, well, I've, I know it says in the Bible this, and I say, okay, yeah, well, that's great. Where do you see that? And they'll say, I, I don't know exactly where it's at, but, I, but my pastor did a three-week series on it. We have got to be able to look at the word. And, and, and when you hear something up in front, that you'd go, man, I want to I look and make sure that that's true. Because I could say whatever I want to say up here. I, know, I want you guys to trust me. But I want you to look at the scripture to see if it's true. I remember back when I was doing college ministry, I got a knock on the door and it was a couple of Mormon kids. They're Mormon missionaries. And they, and they came and they started talking to me about their, their faith and, and, uh, and I invited them in. Jackie just shakes her head. She's like, oh geez, they don't, what are they doing? I invited them and sat down. 
Come on in, let's talk. And, and so we just sat and talked, and I listened to him. And, I, and, and in the end, I just told him, I said, hey, I just, I want to do something. I want to challenge you in the exact same way that I'm challenging my college students. I just want to, I want to challenge you to study I want to challenge you to hold up all that you're learning up against history. Hold it all up against Scripture. When you say it's this, where is it, where does it contradict? I want you to come to conclusions on your own. And it's not your parents' conclusions, but your conclusions. And I said, I said that to them, but it's the exact same thing I said to every one of my college students. This can't be your parents' faith. It's got to be yours. You got to learn it. You got to study it yourself. And come to the conclusions of truth yourself. Man, one of the great gifts that I was given was actually from the priest that that I went to, the priest from my Catholic Catholic church growing up to my mom. Because when I went to college, University of Washington, I started going to this non-denominational college ministry. And my mom was so nervous that I was going to a cult because it wasn't, it wasn't her, from her Catholic background. And she said, and, and she went to her priest and she said, what do we do about this? My son's not going to a Catholic ministry. And that priest just gave just great advice to my mom. He said, let him go. Let him ask the questions. Let him explore this. Let him go on that journey. And you know, I've been on that journey ever since then. And my mom has joined me on that journey. And that, that priest was not, was not afraid of what I would discover. He said, you need to discover it. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's not afraid of what they would discover. He's saying, you need to discover this. You need to hear what I have to say and then put it up against what you see in Scripture. Okay, so that's tangent number one. Get ready for tangent number two, okay? Here's the second one. Again, in, chapter, in, in verse 12 uh, in Berea, it says, many of the Jews believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. That's the second time now. He has talked about the prominent women in Thessalonica. And Luke has talked about the prominent women in Berea. And in chapter 16, he talked about the prominent woman, Lydia, that that hosted Paul at her house in Philippi. That when Paul left, the church really was established through this prominent woman in Lydia. In the next chapter, in 18, he goes on and he'll start talking about Priscilla and Aquila. This Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the husband, and the two of them working with Apollos to raise up Apollos. See, we see passages like this and many others that are so countercultural to the time. In the, at the time, women had no position of authority, no position of leadership. They were pressed down. And we believe that it's passages like this and many others that are passages that, are, that God is saying, saying to the churches and saying to women, I'm calling you out into positions of authority. I'm calling you out into positions of leadership because I've gifted you to do that. We believe that the Bible is filled with countercultural statements that bring, that raise women up into positions of authority. And we want young women in this room online, we want young women to see what I'm doing right here and say, you can do this too. Because God has gifted you to do this. You can do this too. When you see Aisha up here as one of our teaching pastors, we want you to go, you can do it too. Because we believe the Bible is, is if affirming you to do that. When you see Mindy Calaguire as the head of our board of our church, It's because she is an extremely gifted, godly person 
that is leading our board. And we want a young person to say, you can step into positions of leadership. You see, Beth Lillstrom is our, is our executive pastor. You see, Becky is our worship pastor. And you just go, you can be in positions because God has gifted you as a leader, as a godly person that can speak into other people's lives. And we believe the Bible, it has over and over again, continues to make that statement. And that's what we do here at Ascent. Now look, we know that there are other churches that don't, that don't see it that way because there's some contradictory passages or seemingly contradictory passages in the Bible that you go, wait a minute, but it says this. Next week, Maurice is gonna unpack more Priscilla and Aquila. He's also gonna unpack some of those passages. We're gonna look at Paul and what Paul has to say about it. Because we, we want to be, Scripture is the authority in our life. We want to look at that. We want to, to wrestle with some of those passages. But in the end, we conclude God is calling out women into great positions of leadership. Hear that here at Ascent. Okay, so let's keep going. I told you I was going on tangents here. We keep going. It says, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too agitating the crowd and stirring them up. So the, the religious people from Thessalonica head off. They didn't get enough of him there. They had to go to Berea and start arguing with him there. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and they left him with instruction for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. All right, now I'm, for the sake of time, I'm gonna summarize what happens next. So he leaves Berea and heads down to Athens. Man, it's been a hard journey so far. Jail in Philippi and chased out in Thessalonica, chased out again in Berea, now in Athens. Now he's going to the head of all the, of all think, all the, the thought, the life thought. It's, these are the smartest people in Athens. This is where Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, these, are, these guys were from. And now, and now he's stepping into that place after that discouragement in those other places. Now he's going to Athens. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life and my faith where I have shied away from going up against smart people because of that narrative that, oh, you have to kind of uh, uh, bury your, your intelligence to believe in God. But Paul did just the opposite. He went right to the Areopagus, right to the middle of the city in Athens and brought right to the heart of the, the primary thinkers of the world. And he said, I'm gonna tell you a truth that's gonna be about life and it's gonna give you life that's gonna supersede any, any thought that you might have about life. I'm gonna tell you about the Son of God. I'm gonna tell you about his life and I'm gonna tell you about his death and his resurrection and he conquered the grave and he breathed life into every one of us. See, Paul went with that truth and these great thinkers in Athens, many of them wanted to know more. They said, Bring, I, I'd like to know more. Who is this Jesus that you're talking about? Man, I hope that that inspires some of you and you sit there and think, oh, can, is, this, is this an intelligent thought, Jesus? Paul's saying there isn't anything more wise than what Jesus can bring. So, so Paul goes to Athens, he does all of that, and then he moves on to Corinth. And in Corinth, he writes this letter back to the people in Thessalonica, okay? Now, 
One of the things that Tony Campolo t- said years and years ago when I was working in Philadelphia is, is I'm, I'm sitting there and he's, he's, he's talking about it. And he says, man, I've read this Bible so many times and I'm going, okay, is there a point where you got bored with it? And, and Tony says, every time I read the Bible, it can speak to me of something new. He says, I can read a passage over and over again. It'll speak to me of something new. And he says, the reason why is because my life keeps going. And when my life keeps going, and I know this is a living word that speaks into my life, it, it, the same passage that might have spoke to me so differently five years ago speaks to, me, speaks to me uniquely into this moment today. And I love that. I love thinking about it that way whenever you come across something maybe you've read before. I've read Acts 17 many times, but I'll tell you what, this time it spoke, and maybe it spoke to me because of all that we've all been going through over these last 11 months. In Acts 17, what I kept thinking about is I looked, at, I looked at him in Philippi and him in Thessalonica and him in Berea, and all I wanted to do is say, how in the world were you not saying, Paul, how in the world did you not go, God, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm done. I'm done with all this. And maybe it is because that's where I, I mean, many of us feel today about many areas of our life. But couldn't Paul have just gone, I'm done with this. I traveled 785 miles, two and a half, three months. All that time thinking about the, the, the joy of what I'm going to do in this next city. How fun it will be when we get to that next city. And he gets to Philippi after that whole bit of travel. And he gets thrown into prison, beaten, and has to escape because of an earthquake that happened. The, God, the earthquake happens, the, the, the prison door opens, and he leaves. After all that time, and that's the conclusion, and he gets to Thessalonica, and he's like, okay, start over, Thessalonica. And the, so the religious people of all people that chase him out, come on, God, how much more of this do I got to do, do put up with? And he gets to Berea, and everything is good. I finally got a win, and the win turns into a loss because the people chase him down again. How many times did he just want to just go, I'm done I'm done with it all. I throw in the towel. I didn't sign up for this. And many of us are saying that these days. Come on, it's been 11 months so far in the midst of all this. How many of us are saying, I'm done? I'm done. I mean, I... I finally took off this last week and just flew up to Seattle to see my brother up there and, and just to decompress a little bit because it's just been, it's been, a, it's been a hard season. And to just spend some time with John up there and I, I'm sitting in the tram going to the C terminal and, and as I'm, I'm crammed in with 80 other people and all I could think of in this little tram in, at DIA was all of you people that travel for a living. And how many of you guys are looking around at those masks, everybody else, and looking around at some with masks and some not with masks, and and you're just going, I'm done. I'm done because I have to wear a mask. I'm done because that person's not. (laughs) How many of you are just going, I'm done? I was working out last week, and I, I sit on that stupid treadmill for an hour walking uphill. I can't stand my workout, but I do. It's the only thing I can do that keeps my knees and healthy. And so I'm on that treadmill, and, and I'm wearing this mask, and I'm out of shape, and I'm trying to breathe, and the gym makes me wear the mask the whole time, and my mask keeps going in my mouth. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, every time I'm breathing, and I'm like, I can't do this. I'm done. And then I see the person across from me looking at me, just 10 feet across from me, and he's covered 
turn, he's just his chin. He's got his chin with his mask. His mouth is wide open, breathing COVID everywhere, and his nose is out. And, and I'm just sitting there on this treadmill, just getting mad, an hour of getting mad at this 20-year-old punk that won't put his mask on. And I'm going, I'm done with all this. I fought like crazy just getting off the treadmill, going right to him. But then he was in the steam room with me, just the two of us, so we got a chance to chat in the steam room. No, I didn't. I didn't even say a word. You don't say anything in the steam room. You're not allowed to. So I, so I, so, but I'm, there's these moments that we have for each of us that just go, I'm done with this. And you go on that airplane and you go, God, if someone sits next to me, I'm done. You know, you... People that are, the nurses, I'm done. Teachers, wave the white flag, I'm done. God, I didn't sign up for this. I think of parents, I didn't sign up for this. It's kids, my daughter's a senior in high school. I don't think she signed up for this. She's... We got a message from BVSD about graduation. I'm going, holy smokes, we haven't even thought about graduation. We're just thinking about whether or not she's going to wake up tomorrow morning to, do, to, to go back to school again. I mean, are we just saying, are we done with it? How do we keep going? This isn't what I signed up for. How do we keep going? See, the danger is that we, we, we say that with some of those things there, but then we also have those other parts. You, in your marriage, you just go, you know, we're not pursuing each other very well. We're not, how many times you just want to throw in the towel? How many times you want to just throw in the towel with you and you're spending time with God? Or you just go, I'm just exhausted from it all. Well, Paul had to be in that place. But he, but he encourages us in there. And he writes a letter back to this young church in Thessalonica. And he says, I know you're going to want to throw in the towel. I know that they're pursuing you. Just like when I was there, they'll keep pursuing you. They're going to keep pursuing Jason. They're going to keep pursuing all your folks. I know it. And I want to encourage you to, to stay strong. I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to encourage you to not throw in the towel. And so what's he do? He writes this letter back to him. This is, this is connecting the dots, you guys. We can go to 1 Thessalonians and learn what Paul actually does say to himself and to everybody else. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hold on. Just a second. Just a second. There it is. I'm done with all this. <laughs> Gosh. All right. This was, that's the first time that's happened. Seven years ago, that's the first time that's happened. Here we go. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read from, the, um, from the, the Passion Version. It says this. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. So Paul is saying to everybody, he is saying, let me fix this real quick. Is this going to bug me? Sorry. All right, now we're back. All right. So he says, this, he says, this is what we, we, to be wide awake and clear-headed. For those who are asleep, sleep the night away, and drunkards get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, we belong to Jesus, we belong to the light, 
We must stay alert and clear-headed by placing, this is super key for us, by placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and the helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. He goes to the armor, the armor of God. He, he, he knows that people are in this place where there's, there's, there, there, it's, a, there's, it's a, a, a protection. They need a protection over them. And he's looking at our hearts and he's going, man, there's so much, there's so much emotion that's getting the best of us. There's so many of our feelings that are getting the best of us. And he's going, I need to protect you. We need to protect you from those feelings that can take you down a road that you don't want to go down. And so he says to him, man, we need a breastplate of faith and love. That faith in God and that love that God has for us, that that's going to be a protective breastplate over our hearts that are so easily broken in the midst of the challenge that we've been facing over the last 11 months. He's saying, man, we got to be placing that breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and a helmet of the hope of salvation over our thoughts. If you're at all like me, man, my thoughts race a thousand different places and I can't turn them off. My thoughts are racing in, when, I'm, when I'm in bed. My thoughts are racing when I'm, when I'm on that treadmill. I'm thinking about so many different places. I'm going down roads I shouldn't be going down. I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my daughter. I'm thinking about school. I'm thinking about then life here at work. I'm thinking about my staff and how hard it is for my staff right now. They're working their tail off, but it's hard to even gauge what success is these days in church. I'm thinking about each one of you guys and the, how hard it is in this season. My thoughts are going in 50 miles from 50 different places trying to figure it all out starts to go down places that I don't want it to go down and conversations that I think I should have and I shouldn't. And he's saying, put a helmet of the hope of salvation over your thoughts. Think about this plan that the Lord has for us, ultimately a plan that goes beyond our circumstances and put that helmet on. And then tomorrow, put it on again because your thoughts will want to race down roads that you don't want it to go down. And this helmet will be a protection for you. He continues and he starts saying, now, your way to keep going and to not throw in the towel is also to be looking at everybody else and what your role it will be with them. To be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Earlier, Becky had us sing a song and a verse another time to a person next to you that needed to be encouraged when they feel inadequate in this to be faithful, to stand your ground, help the weak to stand again. Wait a minute, I'm ready to throw in the towel. How am I gonna help somebody else? And he's going, yeah, that's gonna be part of it. You're helping the weak to stand and you're gonna be able to stand. Be quick to demonstrate patience with everyone. Resist revenge and make sure that no one pays back evil in place of evil, but always pursue what is doing, what is beautiful to one another and to all the unbelievers, not just people that you find in the church, but people outside of the church as well. And then he gives us this, these three powerful statements. Let joy be your continual feast. Even in the hardest stuff, we can still choose joy. He says this, and this is just powerful. Make your life a prayer. You know, that's a whole verse right there. It's one verse. It's verse 17. Make your life a prayer. Here, watch this. Memorize that. Make your life a prayer. 
You just memorize the passage of scripture, make your life a prayer. What's that look like? I was sitting on that treadmill and I was thinking about all those different things, including the guy across from me and all this different stuff that I'm thinking through. And I want to put that helmet on. Make your life a prayer. I just said, God, all right, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray through this. Invite him on those roads. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Just invite him on the road. He's there already. But make your life a prayer, an invitation into your helplessness. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Thanks in the midst of all of this. If Paul can say that from Corinth about all that he's gone through to say, find thanksgiving. This is God's plan for you in Christ Jesus. His salvation is still right there for you. He's there in the midst of your circumstances. Find thanks in that. And then finally, never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit because he knows we cannot do this alone. And he is giving us his Holy Spirit to prod and push and to remind us of who he is. You cannot do any of the other things. You can't be faithful. You can't be quick to demonstrate patience. You can't be skilled and encouraging those that are inadequate, that, have been, that feel themselves inadequate. You can't do any of that. You can't let the joy be your continual feast or making your life a prayer if you are not putting, if you're, if you're, if you're continuing to hold on to the fire of the Holy Spirit, His presence in your life and my life today. And we're reminded of that and we don't throw in that towel. And then tomorrow, we're reminded it again because you're going to want to throw in the towel again and we're going to need it again. And we'll keep doing that. And we are thankful that Paul kept doing that because he went on to those other cities and then he wrote those letters. And 2,000 years later, we are encouraged by those words that he shared because he didn't throw in the towel. God's saying, trust me, Keep going. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to remember your Holy Spirit is with us. God, I pray that you would help us to find joy and choose joy and that we would feast on that. God, I pray that what we're doing right now, that we're praying right now to you, and I pray that each one of us would learn what that means, that it would be a living prayer. Our life would be a living prayer. Lord, we are so thankful that you're on this journey with us. And every single time any one of us is ready to throw in the towel and say, I didn't sign up for this, I'm done. I can't keep doing this. God, we pray that in those moments you would meet us, intercept those thoughts and drive them to your son, Jesus. And we put that breastplate on, we'd put that ailment on and we would know that you are with us. It's in your name we pray, amen.